Welcome, everybody, to a football show, Thursday edition. My name is Braden Gall. He is Zach Lyons. And football is here, buddy. Football is back. Football is here. Brought to you, of course, by Sinker's Beverages and the Kingston Group. We'll tell you more about Sinker's Beverages and the Kingston Group in just a minute. But, of course, big show today. I had a chance to get a couple of questions with Jeffrey Simmons uh, exclusively following the, uh, the scrum there. Got to talk to him about sort of his preparation process, how things are different after the Titans finish the season and have has that changed his his process after the contract and what does like leadership actually mean to him he's talked a lot about leadership this summer so what does that actually mean talking to guys uh got a couple minutes with there with with jeffrey simmons so you hear from him uh we've got a a, a practice <laughs> to, to discuss uh they're gonna have another one i think friday saturday and then all next week um zach you and the guys will take care of everybody next week but lots of stuff to do talked uh, with Chad Brinker, the assistant general manager for strategy, uh, got to got to chat with him about what what is happening in the analytics world. So we'll talk some analytics. You've got some DeAndre Hopkins contract information out there. So a lot of stuff to discuss. And yes, we might even discuss why Mike Herndon hates the Tennessee Titans. D good. Good to see you, my man. Uh, so welcome, everybody, to the show. If you want to jump into the comment section, please ask questions about practice that we saw. By all means. Join the party. We do appreciate it. Rate, review, subscribe, turn on the notifications. Stackintheinbox.com if you want to read about John uh, Ajuku, uh, the starting right tackle for the Tennessee Titans. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you want to read about that. Uh, so, uh, Football and Other F-Words podcast, as well as everybody, all the other great shows across the 440 Sports Network, brought to you by Sinker's Beverages and the Kingston Group. So, DeAndre Hopkins contract numbers, first and foremost. Let's get into it. Zach, uh, two years, 25 million, 10.98 guaranteed, 9.8 signing bonus, 23, 2023 cap hit, 3.7 million, 2024 cap hit, 16 million. Uh, and it appears like there is what, $8 million you could save, much like the Kevin Byard contract. Am I correct? Around March of next year, should they cut him? Yeah, his is specifically if he's on the roster the fifth day of the league year. So they have five days after the league year starts to cut them or four days, technically. Okay. in which case they would save about 8 million, 7 million ish in dead money. So your initial reaction when you get all these numbers seems like it's a pretty low risk for a pretty high potential reward for the Tennessee Titans and Mike Vrabel and Rank Carthon. No. Well, it's the same as every fucking contract they've done. I mean, like we were t- kind of talking about it, you know, in a, in a group chat and, it's like someone asks, well, the way this contract structure, what do you put the chance that DeAndre Hopkins is there uh, next year? 25%. And I'm like, I don't know, 50-50, because everybody they've signed is on a one-year contract. Someone is going to have to receive a extension or second-year deal. Because he look, Ryan Tannehill, one-year contract. Kevin Byard, essentially a one-year contract. Derrick Henry, one-year contract. DeAndre Hopkins, one-year contract. Uh, Aziz Alshayir, one-year contract. Essentially, um, uh, the Andre Dillard, one-year contract. Uh, Aaron Brewer, a one-year contract. Daniel Brunskill, a one-year contract. Gifford, a one-year contract. I mean, everybody is like a one-year rental, and someone out of that group is likely to see extension. I would put, obviously, Kevin Byard up near the top. But, uh, I mean, depending on if this guy goes off for 1,200, 1,300 yards, he's worth the money next year, especially when you have the cap. And that's the thing is, like, when Julio Jones was cut, it's because they didn't have any cap space, right? No cap space. They were uptight against the cap. Next year, it's just like, okay, well, maybe they will let someone, you know, ride out a $15 million cap hit next year. I mean, why not? I I mean, if he, especially if he performs well. Now, if he comes out here and gets injured or is is obviously slow, but everybody's on a one-year contract. And so we think that this Titans team looks entirely different. Next year's Titans team is just going to look as entirely different as this one, even maybe even more so. So it's just... It's very, it's very much par for the course. It's right where the cap hit, where most people expected it to be. We talked about it on uh, football and other f words on Wednesday. The DeAndre Hopkins contract was used as a negotiating tool to convince Kevin Byard that he's doing the team a solid. Yep. Three point five million dollar cap hit. They were like eight million before he restructured. They didn't really need it. <laughs> they didn't really need him to take a pay cut. 
Uh, no, but Kevin Byer, it seems, was very clearly told, do this for DeAndre Hopkins. Oh, yeah. <laughs> negotiating tool. It's just not really true. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, so, again, it'll be very interesting. Zach in the comments says, if I was a Patriots fan, I'd be upset that that's all it took to get him. I think that's pretty accurate. Um, I, listen, I. it's funny to think that this team could be without Henry, Tannehill, Byard, Hopkins, on and on down the list. That they could all just be gone next year. And that that will get we'll, we'll talk a little bit about, and I know you guys talked about it on F word F words the sort of the the importance of Willis or Levis somebody doing something this year to prove that they are the guy, and we'll discuss what we saw at least in in the first day of practice coming up a little bit later on in the show. But it's a really, I mean, it's a very real possibility that like the four or five most popular Tennessee Titans are gone next year. It's, Jeff Simmons is going to be the John Travolta yeah. meme where he walks into the room is like, where is everybody? It's, like, the Will Smith, it's Will Smith at the end yeah, of the Will Fresh Smith Prince, the right? Prince, yeah. Yeah. He just walks There's in. There's that too. Like, what, what, where'd everybody go? Um, you'll hear from Jeffrey Simmons coming up a little bit later on uh, as well. So I, I don't, I don't know if there's anything else you want to add to the contract negotiation side of things. I think it's just another sort of like give the, give the entire organization, Rand Carthon, the the staff, like Vrabel for having the relationship, you know, et cetera, et cetera, sort of like, the entire process has worked out so that we at the first day of camp we're watching DeAndre Hopkins and Traylon Burks run routes together with Kyle Phillips and Jacob Conquo for Ryan Tannehill. If you would have told me that was happening back at the end of the draft when Vrabel said, Oh, don't worry. We've got a plan essentially tongue in cheek. Like that's what he was saying. Who knows if he actually meant DeAndre Hopkins, but if you would have told me that's what we would have been watching in day one of camp, I would have kind of been like, really, you, th you think so? So you got to give, I mean, we have an issue at right tackle. We'll get to that. But there's a you, you got to give the staff, the organization, a lot of credit for getting this team back to a place where there's a lot of energy and momentum and excitement, not doom and gloom, roster, depth, receiving core. What are we going to do? Well, and if you look at it, I mean, right now, as it sits, if he were to, for whatever reason, get cut today, it's a one year, $10.98 million deal. If he reaches the per game roster bonus, which I would assume that's kind of this is kind of why I like Spotrack. Spotrack puts in like the details. Uh, I think he played what nine games last year, I think nine or 10. So he's probably right. like it's probably 11 games is the per game roster bonus. They don't say, but if he plays 11 or 12 games, whatever the roster bonus is set at, then this turns into a one year, $12 million deal. That seems about right about where we all thought it was going to be, right? Like, I've seen a lot of people say, well, this obviously isn't the people who thought this was about the money. They were obviously wrong. No, this is kind of what we all thought the deal was going to look like. I mean, I was a little surprised it's a multi-year deal, just a little bit. It's my preferred method, but I was just a little surprised they did it. But technically, it's a one-year. Maxi can earn this year's $12 million, and then he gets cut next year, and there you go. Yeah, I, I think, uh, and if he plays 12, 13, whatever the number is, like you say. That's good for the that, Titans. Is, is that worth a million bucks? Like, you're yeah. damn right it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, it, it all, again, I think it doesn't make, and I think you guys were talking about the perception of the Titans organization, and I think we saw this with Mahomes in the quarterback documentary. You guys were talking about on NF words, just that, that there's a lot more respect for the organization writ large inside NFL offices inside the rooms inside the coaching rooms inside the players locker rooms inside the administration front offices than there is in the national media than there is in local media than there is in you know sort of like the national group think right the zeitgeist of the titans does not match what they really think of it and i think that speaks to sort of why hopkins is here why, why kevin Byer took a pay cut why people are worth are, are willing to come play for for mike Vrabel. we you know, do we know if the Rand Carthon decisions, all of them are going to work out? They probably all won't. But if Aziz Alshair starts 17 games at middle linebacker, Daniel Brunskill is your right guard. Arden Key is a pretty decent player at, off the edge. You know, you, and, the, and the young players do well in the first year of the draft. I mean, yes, Carthon's going to be tied to Will Levis. I get that. But I, I don't know. I think there's a, a lot of appreciation for, for what they're doing right now across the league. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how you, how you can't look at this team totally different. And even if they don't get George Fant, who, by the way, I think a lot of people are just kind of overhyping. Yes, he's probably better than Jamarco Jones, but how much better remains to be seen. He has two good seasons out of the five or six that he's played. The rest of them have been 
absolutely abysmal in terms of pass blocking. So I don't know. I, I guess it sounds like he's asking a little too much money. But at the end of the day, I feel like that the Tennessee Titans are in a much better place. Um, it's just they're they're we we got we let the seven game win streak skew too much of our perception of this team. And I was trying to bring everybody out of that. Right, I've been all offseason. I've been trying to bring everybody out. Say no, this year you have to clean, do a clean slate, right? Because right now they're all healthy. And right now they still have Mike Vrabel. And right now they have, you know, Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry, and Traylon Burks, and Chico Conquo. Now they have DeAndre Hopkins. Like, it's just, you got to get back into the mode that this team, it's a loaded AFC. But when you really think about it, Jets and Buffalo and Miami all in one division going to be hitting their records hard, right? Because, I mean, it's going to be really hard to get a double-digit win team out of there unless someone really falls off or someone really explodes. Uh, it's probably going to have to take both. You got to imagine that the Chargers and the um, Denver Broncos are going to see a rebound and be a little bit closer to Patrick Mahomes, but it's not out of the realm of possibility that we see a repeat of 2021 in more ways than one. And, and I'm not talking about just win loss record. <clears throat> this team could be a sneaky pick to win the entire AFC. It may not matter if they win the no. entire AFC, but I mean, they have the easiest division. They have a second place schedule and they have Deandre Hopkins. And you couldn't have convinced me that they, even with Julio Jones, they would have been the first place in AFC. That's so, true. You know, it could I, happen. I mean, and, it could happen. And and weird thing. I mean, I'm not. I'm. Uh, I, I'm still more like nine wins, win the division kind of team. But it's just I, not. I we, just can't look at this team. That's you're not. Giving I, they don't. Well, well, you just well, no, ignored everything I just said. No, much. that's not. Well, no, I think saying that they're going to be the one seed in the AFC is is is. I just don't agree with it. So we can get to well, why could. that is in, in a they second. Could but, be sure, but well, <laughs> but. but what I would say is, what did we say all of last summer? Well, the AFC West is going to be the greatest division of all time. Well, it wasn't. So we just don't know. And and I think that speaks to the Titans, and it speaks to the other teams as well. I Do I think I would I would put any amount of dollars you would like to put down that they are not the one seed in the AFC? I still think there is, and this is while, while two things can be true, I still think there are major depth problems, major questions that this team needs to work through, some of which I think they will figure out. And that means I trust Mike Vrabel. I trust Tannehill. I trust the identity and the culture of the team. And I trust them that they can win the division. I don't know what their ceiling is because of their, their depth and their overall roster talent. That being said, it doesn't mean that they're not now much more exciting. Everybody at camp on Wednesday because of, and, and it's not just DeAndre Hopkins. I think it's because season's here and the training camp's here and, that's just more exciting. The energy levels at on, on one day of practice from, and I don't know how vibes is like a bad way to put it. Cause that's just such a like intangible, vague way to describe it. But the, 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 the competition level, the compete between the offense and the defense was different. The energy at the press and the, and the media was different. The energy with the, the staff was different. There's the energy in the receiving core in the passing game was different. There's j it's, it's all trickling down from they've figured some things out. They got the Bayard contract worked out. They got Hopkins in and it was on play one. Christian Fulton came up and basically tackled DeAndre Hopkins on like a five yard out route where Tannehill fires a dart to him. Hopkins catches it and Christian Fulton. They're not wearing pads. <laughs> they just have on helmets. This is a no contact drill. And Christian Fulton basically form tackles him. And I took that to mean this is, this is, we, we got some egos here that, that need to like, they're puffing their chests out. Christian Fulton has a lot to prove. When, when, when I'm going against DeAndre Hopkins, it's a different level of compete than when I'm going against, you know, Nick Westberg Akine. No disrespect to NWI, but like it's just different. He elevates everybody around him. Defense too. And Christian Fulton was feisty the entire day. Like, and I hope, I think Titans fans should want to see him like that. Uh, but they threw at Hopkins I, like seven of the first nine plays in team drills. Like he he was the guy. He was the target, and he caught almost every single one that Tannehill threw. The energy level was totally different. Yeah, and and that that's great. Let's 
for me, it's like I've heard this before. I've heard this whole entire story. I heard this story last year that the oh man, Ryan Tannehill's demeanor's different, and this team's really feeding off Ryan Tannehill. The previous year, oh man, Julio Jones and AJ Brown are really putting it putting it to on the offense, and you know doing all this stuff like. I, I hear it. I get it. And I'm not saying that people can't be excited or anything, but like as far as buy-in goes, I, I need to see that energy when he comes back from moving his family, which is have been the thing. Like I, I need to see him actually practice more for, for that kind of hype. Like I want to see that. I want to see that same energy. The hotter it gets, the more physical it gets. That's when I, you know, I'll be really excited when the pads come on. Like when the pads come on, yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah. to me is like real training camp, freaking stuff, freaking Thursday, insanely hot, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> just, just not so hot. Wednesday was actually quite, quite nice out there at on the practice field. I'll say this: it's just tangibly extremely different from OTAs and minicamp. Yeah, how about that? Like, there's no Bayard thing. There, there's no Hopkins is here. It's very different. And again, I'm not suggesting that he couldn't end up getting hurt and missing practice and it doesn't work. And it's similar to all the other old receivers that the Titans have brought in. It it felt a little different in that Hopkins feels more stable. Like I just, he just looks like this is hard to describe because Julio has always kind of been a little bit more brittle just in general. Um, and because of the style of play, which we've documented ad nauseum, I, I think like Hopkins was, it doesn't mean one shot or one cut doesn't hurt you and it could happen to anybody, but he, he's clearly the number one receiver on the team. <laughs> like, and yeah. when you look at, and when you look at him with Traylon Burks right next to him, Traylon Burks looks like a way better number two than he does a number one. So it's just yeah. it, the whole, uh, as we talked about on Monday, the positionless football, the freedom that DeAndre Hopkins provides Tim Kelly to move pieces pretty around boy Kelly, pretty boy Kelly to do different formations. To, and they did all of it on Wednesday. I mean, it was their Phillips with Burks with, you know, with Spears and Spears with Spears and Henry and, and, you know, Josh Wiley wasn't out there, but like they were mixing and matching a lot of dudes on the offense. And it was, it was interesting. The energy levels were high. They completed a lot of passes, uh, we'll get to Willis and Levis in a minute, but Hopkins tangible difference. And he just feels like a, a pro, a pro's pro, if that makes sense. Just being around him. Um, it's just Julio is a quieter guy. Like he's yeah. just sort of there. He also a, hates practice. I mean, yeah, he like legit yeah. hates practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Hopkins was it was it was clear that he was. The fact that he was lined up made everyone on the defense fired up, not right. just the offense. So, well, it's it's great because you know we have finally have a wide receiver that has that divas edge that will stand Dog. by his divas diva ish edge instead of like I don't know if you saw the X where he uh, uh, reexed, I guess you would say, or quote Xed. I'm calling it um, tweets. I'm calling it Twitter. That's that's <laughs> incorrect. That's factually incorrect. So okay. uh, I guess he quotexed uh, this. <laughs> do you see the Pendergrass guys, Sean Pendergrass? Yeah, I saw him basically. Oh, yeah. And I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And uh, he didn't delete it. It's still up. So I'm here for this. I mean, that's the kind of stuff I want from DeAndre Hopkins. Rob, Rob I mean, Moore told stuff. Rob Moore told me this like four or five years ago. He said, look. It, the reason AJ Brown is good, you got to have dog, man. You got to have dog yeah. in you. And it's a very common phrase for receivers. When the football's in the air, it belongs to you. Right. That's what that means. And DeAndre Hopkins is the prototypical definition of dog. Like the ball's in the air, it's his. And he's going to go get it. And and he did it all through team drills. You know, Traylon Burks had a couple nice catches too. Chig had an extremely <laughs> impressive catch. Kyle Phillips had a nice catch. Like start starts to rub off. That's all. I'd like to one, just, one practice, one practice. Yeah, I'd like to take quick aside because this this depth thing that everybody keeps bringing up, like it's an exclusive Titans problem. And it may, I, how many how many teams do you think don't have a depth problem? You, you've you've brought this up on a previous episode. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't, like I don't, like like I know you don't know everybody's depth, but if, if, right. I mean, like throw out just a number of teams that you don't think that you think that, well, it doesn't matter who goes down. They got someone that could step up. Obviously, besides maybe the quarterback, let's take the quarterback side of it. Well, I think it's, I mean, again, I don't, I don't cover the other teams and yeah. you probably know the rosters way better than I do. I, I would say well, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm, this is not a gotcha thing. This right. is just a, a conversation that we are having. I mean, yeah. I may do this as a, a article though. I think I, 
So what's interesting about this is I think Vrabel's very good at finding those guys. And maybe, you know, we joke about Ajoku being that guy, but maybe that is that guy. I mean, they they clearly invested in him as a as a UDFA. I, I think that there are one to fifty-three teams that are just far more talented than the Titans. And if the Titans lose a player, just one player at a number of positions. There, there's teams that have like tight end rooms that aren't going to be reliant on a second year player to stay healthy all 17 games. There's plenty of tight end rooms that if Chickaconquo gets hurt and doesn't play, I'm not suggesting that everybody doesn't take a step back to your point, but like the Titans have nobody to run routes at that position if Chig doesn't play. Well, Wiley or Wile, what, he wasn't out there. We land on it. Well, yeah, so Wesco wasn't out there. Mike's already given up on Wesco, so are you giving no, up I on saw Trayvon Wesco. Trayvon Wesco caught a caught a Well, nice I mean, pass. he wasn't out there for the previous, you know, yeah, that's true. previous months. But. I, I just I just mean, even with the guys they have, Raider, Wesco, I think Mac, uh, who I think is, who was worked into the rotation pretty heavily on, on Wednesday, who I, I thought had a really good minicamp, showed a lot of athleticism. There's just not many guys on the roster that can do what he does. Yeah. And so they're, like, if... If they lose a safety, like, is it Elijah? Okay, Elijah Molden, great. But then now you're thin at, at corner. And again, I, it, I I agree with you in your point in that many, the whole design of the NFL salary cap mm-hmm. and the way they move play and the way that the player movement system is structured is to keep everyone churning players and to have everybody be thin. I, I get that. I just don't think the Titans are one of the most talented rosters in, I, I mean, I wouldn't put them in the top five or six or seven in the AFC. Uh, and so they're, they're a, why, uh, why a couple, do you think that, wh- why do you think that's changed though? From, I believe the first summer that we did this, we said this was the deepest roster, which would have been last summer, right? Like, I guess <laughs> uh, we said this yeah. was one of the deepest and best rosters in the A in the AFC and in the NFL. And now all of a sudden that's not true after they got rid of dead weight. Well, it can't you can't call David Long dead weight the way you rave about David Long's play during most of the season. I, mean, I think last week you called him one of the well, best middle linebackers in the NFL up I until mean, he got like, hurt. I mean, I, the dead weight could be a catch-all for the majority of the players like Bud Dupree that they got. I mean, you're talking about yeah, what yeah, he yeah. got. I, I think the key is... I mean, is David John- Long the linchpin of this whole <laughs> roster for you? I mean... No, I think it's it's a combination. It's a it's a it's the reason John Robinson's not here. It's a yeah. it's a it's like the culmination of a lot of different. So we events. were just wrong last year, maybe, and now you've adjusted the no, the and maybe, and maybe I'm over adjusting, which is possible. Um, but the way the NFL works is, and this is again, I think your point that it's very difficult to just maintain status quo in anything that you do in the NFL from yeah. year to year, other than like a star quarterback who's under contract for like nine years. Other than that. It's just hard to maintain anything. A oh, great offensive line play, great pass rush, great secondary, great receipt. Like, it's just hard. But a culmination of bad John Robinson drafts outside of one in the last three, you trade away A.J. Brown, you, you, your Taylor Lewan retires, like, gets hurt and doesn't play. Like, we just – things have happened. And, and I think over the course of the last 12 to 18 months, the team has just thinned out. And the idea is, is that the very cheap free agents, who I like – and the draft class of the last two years, which I like, are all going to have to be asked to play bigger roles. And that's all. And that's possible. But is it one seed, two seed, three seed in the AFC possible? I just don't see it. Yeah. It, I just, is, it, is it win the AFC South? Yeah. Yes. I think it absolutely, they absolutely can win the AFC South. Yes. I think it's just times. interesting how everybody's viewpoints have changed over the course of a, uh, of a year when we got rid of players mostly that weren't available or weren't very good. And it's just, it's just interesting. I just think, I don't think anybody's right or wrong. I just think the discussion around it is just interesting. Yeah. And like last year's safety search, right. In the middle of the, yeah. throughout the course of the season. Kind and it of worked right. Like for the up to till he's got injured too. I mean, like <laughs> right, right. there's, there's a difference between, I think, we I see a lot of people talking about that some teams just mask it better. Well, Mike Vrabel was masking it with the best of them. Coach for of the, the year award time, and yeah, he did a coach of the year award. He just couldn't duplicate that again, suffering through another historically injury plague season. So I don't know. I think like Mike Vrabel, I think that's where I get hung up on everything. Is like it all lives and dies at the feet of Mike Vrabel for me. It's like. Mike Vrabel, if this team stays 2021 healthy, 
right? That team still wasn't the healthiest. Right. W- but I feel like this team's a lot closer to 2021 than the 2022 health-wise and talent-wise. So I kind of look at it and go, if that, if 2021, we'd never really thought that in the middle of the season, this team was going to go on a big run and beat the teams that it did and get the AFC number one seed. So I'm just hold. I'm not saying that it's likely. I would put it at like a 30% chance likely right now. Um, just because of all the other divisions, not really because of the Titans, but because I'm looking at it from a mathematical perspective of all the other divisions and how they improve. But in the season, that's probably going to fluctuate up and down. I'm just, yeah. just saying. I, I like Mike Rabel so can ask a lot of the depth to a certain point. Sure. Like, so at the start of the season last year, basically the pass rush group is the same, except for instead of key, it was Dupree. So, so now you've got, and, and I'm, I'm going to land the plane here on this in just a second. Sinker's beverages, Kingston group, by the way, folks. Um, I, I think the secondary is very versatile and deep. I actually think a lot of the group, do they have, do they have an all pro back there other than Bayard? Maybe not, but like, I think they're very talented. I think they're deep. They've got options. Their fifth and sixth corners could be Trey Avery and Chris Jackson. Like I, they, I think they've got a lot of pieces back there. I just don't feel that way about almost any other position. And here, as an example, every major free agent that we have penciled in as a guaranteed starter that has to be a performer, guys that we both like, Al Shair, Brunskill, Dillard, Key, all those guys, not starters on other teams, meaning they were depth pieces, which means they were valuable depth pieces to the other teams. And now they're starters here. I think that's sort of a depiction of where this team is from a depth standpoint. Doesn't mean they're bad moves. I like those players. I think they're very smart moves by Rand Carthon, but not one of those guys was a was a starter for the Eagles or the Niners or 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 even Jacksonville to some degree. So you're taking guys that were backups and putting them in your starting lineup. Again, I'm not saying it's the wrong move. I'm just saying factually that that sort of shows you where those other teams' depth is relative to where the Titans are. Um I think, like, I think running back, you know, I like the pieces. I think there's depth there. I don't, I'm not as worried about it. I think if you need Julius Chestnut to be your number three or whatever, I, I think that that's, I think there's depth there, but not a lot of other positions. Offensive line, you know, <laughs> like, oh, well, speaking rush. of running back, this, this Jonathan Taylor, Jim Ursay thing is, is not oh. doing great. What's the latest? Yeah. So I know Ursay Ursay was basically saying running backs are stupid. <laughs> well, he he said um, What's the NFL latest? running back situation. We have negotiated a CBA that took years of effort and hard work and compromise yeah. and good faith by both sides. Yada yada yada. All of which uh, is true. Yeah. The yes. Yes. Sure. Uh, a lot of hard work and effort. Uh, to say now that a specific player category wants another negotiation after the fact is inappropriate. Some agents are selling bad faith. First off, that's a straw man argument. Running backs just want to get paid more. They don't want to change anything in the CBA. They just want to get paid what they feel that they are worth to the team. They feel they are underpaid. That does not mean they want to be overpaid, which is the other straw man argument as well. It's like, well, you can't overpay for running backs. Look at the teams that overpaid for running backs. Well, why don't you just pay them correctly? Okay, so that's my but little aren't they, on that. But aren't they getting paid correctly? No. Uh, why why you, not? Because they are getting paid. They... They are most of these backs that are wanting money are three down running backs that are super important to their team that put that have to they probably take the most beating out of any position on the field. And they also have to pass block. They have to pass catch and all that. They're not getting paid relative to their to their talent and what they put. I I don't I don't disagree with you there, but they're getting paid relative to to the risk, the, the, the risk of the position, though. And if I'm running a business, I'm factoring in risk of the position, which you're right. They do take a beating and therefore miss most game, miss more games than somebody else. Derrick Henry, Jonathan Taylor, Saquon Barkley. They've all missed time. They all miss games. Every and, position misses times. And, and they're they replaceable. Up. Yeah. Yeah. They, they are. That's the key. And that's what we talked about is that they're replaceable. But that doesn't mean that they should be have to be so woefully underpaid. There is a middle ground to be had. They're not being paid appropriately. They are being underpaid and undervalued. And it took two guys to take up one Derrick Henry. And a lot of these players, there's nobody so far the Chargers have been able to find to duplicate what Austin Eckler can yeah. do. So I there, mean, there is certain situations. And I'm not saying like, uh, who's a, who's a, I'm not saying Deontay Foreman needs to be getting paid like $10 million a year or anything, <laughs> but like 
Austin Eckler needs to get some money thrown his way because he, to his team, he is the only guy they can get, right? So, like, anyway, his agent, Jonathan Taylor's agent, said, bad faith is not paying your top offensive player, which is yeah. totally correct for the Colts, by the way, currently. And then Ian Rappaport tweets out an Around the NFL article that says, hope this relationship can be fixed, dot, dot, dot. And the Jonathan Taylor's agent uh, quote tweets it. Oh, sorry. Quote X is it QX. Uh, I doubt <laughs> it with the, uh, yeah. What you got? I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm torn on the running backs. Conversation. I, I mean, we're talking like a couple million dollars. I mean, we're right, not right. McCaffrey to... McCaffrey gets paid 15 million is the highest paid running back in the league. The, the franchise tag is 11. And he's like, every, he's we... every bit worth it. 11 million. Okay. So make him, so pay him 12 or 13. Like what, what are they holding out for, for an entire year, missing out on all this money just for like 2 million bucks a year? I don't, that part, I see both sides of it. I totally agree with the value of a running back if they are a special player. There's also, I think there's, but I get, you know, he had that maybe, and maybe this is the CBA thing they're trying to change that Jonathan, I think running backs should be allowed to negotiate their extensions quicker than other positions typically do. Like, I because a running back is so front loaded in their in their availability, their youth, their prime. It's so it's so a small finite time. I mean, you don't get. I mean, technically, I don't know. There are a lot of older running backs right now that are actually still kicking the trend because just how the world works. I just think that there is. I think a hold in is the always the way to go. Show up, don't get fined. Do a hold in. But I think what they're trying to do is smart. They just can't get too big to their britches and lose the message and go for they don't fly too close to the sun. Yeah. I'm very much that there is a middle ground in this whole running back thing between being way underpaid and way overpaid. And I think there's a middle ground that they need to try to find yeah. a way to maximize the talent and revenue. Well, and to your point, Taylor and Barkley, like Barkley is worth a lot more because the Giants are in win now mode. And he's more of their offense, and they don't have a lot of weapons. Whereas they got like thirteen slot receivers. Where the Raiders are like, I don't like. What are the Raiders supposed to win this year? What are the Colts supposed to win this yeah. year? Like, I I understand where they're coming from a little bit more. Whereas, but also Barkley's been hurt more than Jacobs and Taylor. So like, it's it it, it we can go round and round on this. It just it just just depends on the situation. Like, I yeah. don't think that every running back deserves to get paid more. But I think there are situations right. where some people should get paid more. I think Jonathan Taylor should probably get paid more because you may think it's so easy to find a running back, but you're trying to find a running back that could duplicate what Jonathan Taylor does. And that is a little bit different than trying to find yep. a running back that duplicates the output of, let's say, Kenneth Walker or, or someone like that. I mean, I, I just Walker's think it's... I mean, I was going to say, like, Kenneth Walker is the example of why you don't pay Jonathan Taylor. You just draft him in the second or third round. And well, they just drafted Zach you know. Charbonnet, too. So, yeah. You know. um, all right. So, Stinkers Beverages. Let's talk about this real fast here. Uh, Kingston Group, before we talk a little bit more camp, here from Jeffrey Simmons. Talk some analytics as well. Stinkers Beverages, of course, up in East Nashville. You've got Bluegrass up in Hendersonville. Uh, obviously, join the in crowd and the BOB up there. Uh, at Bluegrass, uh, those are sort of just customer appreciation groups. You join the clubs and you get access to cool things like allocations and new whiskeys and new bourbons and fancy tastings and events that are coming up and all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, obviously, shop at, at Sinkers. You can search Uber Eats, by the way, and have uh, the booze delivered directly to your door. They drive so you can drink. Obviously, there you have it. So just search Sinkers on your Uber Eats app and just have some long drank delivered right to you. Uh, Sinker's Beverages, of course. Check them out. Kingston Group, buildkg.com. I don't even need to say anything, do I? Like, don't you guys already know the drill here on Kingston Group? Buildkg.com. It's the website. Talk to them. Got any questions about your house? Call them. Okay? I've told you a number of times. Just just call them. Kings, Kingston Group. Um, okay, so you want to hear? Let's, let's hear from Simmons here. Uh, I had a chance. He had, he did a lot of scrum stuff after practice on Wednesday. I got a chance to to get him sort of one on one. It's not very long. I only had, had a couple of questions, but I had a chance to ask him sort of you know after a seven game losing streak and a new contract with sort of that as the framework. Did he change anything? Did any part of his preparation or his process entering this season uh, change? And and here's what he had to say. Man, nothing changed other than I guess the way I my mindset. I guess. Um, I want to be better than I was last year. Uh, you know, each each year I find out that one thing that I know that for sure I could have worked on a little better, uh, especially coming into the season. 
during my offseason training. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say just because we, you know, especially lost some games, it's about right now. Um, like I said, we that bad taste not in my mouth no more. It's about how can we build our team going forward from here. And you've talked about leadership this offseason. Have you taken what's that look like when you communicate with your other other guys in your room? I mean, I mean they listen. You know, I think you know it's not just by me talking as well. You know, how can I go out there and do it? You know, if I'm not doing it right, Coach T or the other guys in the room have the right to uh, hold me accountable. So, I mean, the thing about leadership, you know, is not all about front runners. You know, we want to, even when time's going good, time going bad, you know, how can you still be that uh, leader? And that's my goal. You know, I want to get better at that. You know, sometimes I could kind of forget about that sometimes. So I think the main thing right now is just each and every day, push the guys and how hard can they push me? There you go, Jeffrey Simmons. And I think it ties in a couple of different things we've already talked about today on the show. One is expectations for this team nationally in the the group think are low. And every a lot of those players were asked about it. And a lot of those players were like, don't care. <laughs> we're paying attention to our, what you we know have. who would care. Taylor Lewan, And he's out of that. Uh, <laughs> he would be all about it. He, yeah, he always cared about that stuff. Probably would. Uh, that's that's one. Um, is that they were asked, Arden Key was very vocal about like, no, this is garbage. That's ridiculous. We're, we're here to dominate. Jeffrey Simmons, you can hear him talking about it. Um, and the other one is is the undervaluing of Mike Vrabel and the culture and the leadership and the next man up and the focus. And you can hear Jeffrey Simmons, like he cares about how he communicates with his people. He cares about how he and Danico Autry and TR Tart and Harold Landry and how these guys are communicating with each other, both him towards them and them back towards him. And I think it speaks to this ties in with DeAndre Hopkins and Mike Vrabel texting DeAndre Hopkins when he wasn't even a player on his team. Like it, it is about Vrabel top down creating a, a communication style and concern for each other that I think is key to leadership and, and football in general, where it's like a military style brigade, Right. Like you, you got to have like that kind of camaraderie to be good in the NFL. And I think Simmons represents Vrabel. And I think that's represented in Hopkins. And I think it's represented in the free agents and Rand Carthon. And I just thought it was a, a illustrative illustrative of the job that Mike Vrabel has done and that they are all wild, that this whole entire organization is wildly underrated nationally. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you just can't underrate. I got, or how about this? You just can't appreciate enough when you're doing these rankings how much Mike Vrabel means to the players in the locker room, his messaging to the teams. You you see it on how he talks to, DeAndre, like you said, I mean, DeAndre Hopkins, you know, he's texting DeAndre Hopkins on a random Sunday after he watches DeAndre Hopkins drop pass. And I'm like, why didn't you catch that? And, you know, who else is he doing that to? We know he texts, you know, he goes on the podcast with the bus with the boys and he's texting with Will and Taylor. And you see that side that the players really gravitate to, right? Like you see the side, the Mike Vrabel we see in the podium is not the Mike Vrabel we see anywhere else. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not that he really hates you guys. He just hates what you guys stand for. Uh, he hates having it and he has, hates having to stand well, up there and ask those questions. Well, we're the reason he makes a whole lot of fucking money. So I don't think the media is. I mean, he, no, we, we are he, there. We are there representing the fans and the fans are why he makes all that money. Oh, uh, well then he, if you guys are representing the fans, you guys got to work on a lot of stuff. Cause you, I mean, you know, the media is not perfect. There's plenty yeah. of problems, but yeah, uh, but do you, we, you we are the conduit. Yeah. You, you could be the conduit. Um, I, I, I feel like, it's just gone. It's just gone. We're we're getting back. Like I see people going to practice. I see people starting to buy in. I see media. I hear it on the radio. I see some kind of positivity peeking through. It's like we we're all you guys are like all the groundhogs waking up. I've been I'm the groundhog that drank a lot of Red Bull and I've been awake for since February. You guys are just now waking up from your hibernation, looking at your shadow and seeing the sun. And oh, the spring's right around the are, corner. Are you intentionally dog. lumping me in with a bunch of people who? Yeah, because you haven't been very positive about this season. I, I'm trying to tell I, everybody. This two season. weeks. Well, no, it changed when DeAndre Hopkins was on the team. And I said, now I think they can win the division. I think I think that everybody was underplaying what they were even before DeAndre Hopkins. And 
I think it's because everybody saw the seven game win streak and is like the Mike Vrabel magic is gone or they are not valuing or weighing the Mike Vrabel magic enough. The Mike Vrabel magic has has not died. It's been around. It's still going to be around. He's just a special coach. And I think that when you I still hold on to the fact that I think he's one of the top five, if not top three coaches in the NFL. He is just that damn good. And he has his warts. Every coach does. There is no perfect coach. He has his warts. But at the end of the day, he has the respect of the players. He has the respect of other coaches and those players on other teams. The people need to adjust their thinking accordingly and get back to where they were. That, that That's all fine and good. Just don't lump me in with people that don't like Mike Vrabel. Like, I, I have never once questioned Mike Vrabel. I certainly might. My, my questions about this team win-loss record in 2023 has nothing to do with seven-game losing streak because I I think I still think Mike Vrabel – I mean, you. I hope you would back me up on this, that I've always said that Mike Vrabel is among the best coaches in the NFL. Yes, but what I'm saying is you're not weighing enough of Mike Vrabel into your, into your analysis, I feel like. I am – I and think that, Mike that Vrabel – That has been a pro- – that's not just you, but that has been a problem. I've, I fell into that trap at some point. I've pulled myself out of it, and I've always been of the fact that since I went through the schedule and picked them to win 10 games, uh, just 10 games before DeAndre Hopkins, it was always, I always kept coming back when I'm writing that article, Mike Vrabel, Mike Vrabel, Mike Vrabel, Mike Vrabel. Like, it just kept coming in. Yeah, and and it's, listen, I had him at eight wins-ish, seven or eight wins before Hopkins. I've got him at nine or 10-ish now. I think he's worth a win. I think it changes uh, again. And that's a, to me, I think they have like a five win roster and that was Mike Vrabel baked in. So we just had different perceptions of the roster, which I may be totally wrong about. I may be totally right about it. We just don't know. We'll have to find out. I, I think what, what is interesting about Hopkins is changing how the offense changes. Now. I think that's where they, with a second place schedule and with Vrabel, if they win one or two games, that are the 50-50, one-score, turnover-style, make-a-kick, miss-a-kick type of game, that's where they win a division. They have maybe 11 wins, and that's where – but I, that's kind of the nature of the NFL beast. Like, that's that's why the, the product is so powerful and why everyone watches it every single Sunday for hours on end because it's – everybody can beat everybody on any given Sunday. So, um, all right, let's do a couple of quick camp notes here. Um, and before we get into uh, some analytics, which we'll wrap up with, go to Sinkers, of course – the Kingston group as well, our proud uh, sponsors, uh, Mike and me, both negative Nancy's. No, I don't think so. I just, it's, it's okay. Just to think that a team just is said a, no. That's a negative uh, word, <laughs> man. <laughs> well, if I say yes, then I'm also then a negative not- Nancy, <laughs> but I'm then, but the, I'm you a negative Nancy it, either way. You've at least taken as a I, step towards positivity as I smile <laughs> the entire time. Um, all right, first, quick. I'm going to go some quick rapid-fire observations here, and then you can kind of see what you think is interesting. Uh, I, I don't know if Jacob Copeland is going to be this year's, like, you know, the guy that everybody loves and then his ass is, like, first cut, you know? Yeah. I don't know, but I think he could be. He's big dude, big frame. Everyone's like, ooh, oh, Jacob Copeland. Jacob How, Copeland. How's he doing in returns? I, I didn't. I didn't that's got to be his way to make it in, right? He's going to have to win the return job. I didn't see that, but here's my ultimate point is he is one of – 14 people. Oh my gosh, yeah, for real. That have no chance to make the roster because yeah. there's there's only one spot. You don't think he has one chance because there's, he got a pretty good deal, a good UDFA deal, and they they showed him a lot of uh love in the pre-draft process. I mean, they were they spent extra time with him at his pro day. They did a lot with him. There so is I just one, wonder. There's 12 dudes for one spot. But if he receiver. wins the return job, that's why I asked. If he wins the return job, well then it's over, right? No. You don't think so? No. The, the, go through the list. Go through the list of guys. Okay. It is 12 dudes for one spot. Yes. And Colton Dowell is one of them. Mason Kinsey's one of them. Racy McMath is well, one of Mason them. Mason Kinsey's not making this team. He has never made That's this team. That's what I'm team, saying. So. That's what I'm saying. But like that, that is, he is in that group. I would put him behind those guys, frankly. You'd put him behind the, the guy. If he, that, you got to listen to the words I'm saying. Okay. If he wins the return job, because if he wins the return job, that means Racy Math didn't. That means that Mason Kinsey didn't. All those other guys did not. Don't you think he could make this roster if he wins that job? And that's that's the only way I could see him make winning the making the roster. I, I hear what you're saying. 
I don't know if they keep a sixth receiver based exclusively on because I do like the player. He's a nice, he's yeah. an interesting looking player. As I said, I think a lot of people are going to be like, "Ooh, wow," and like really like him throughout the course of camp because he's he's physically he's he's noticeable. Yeah, I, Colton Dowell it looks like the best receiver of the bunch. Like he just well, that's does. good. I mean, that's what he you want does. if you're the Tennessee Titans. That's exactly what you want. And if you're a Titans fan, that's what you should be rooting for too. Yes, is and that they didn't waste a seventh round pick on a guy that wasn't going to make it, but a guy that actually does. And I'll have to say his ladder drills and his little feet videos that you guys uh, put up there for OnlyFans on the on X. <laughs> it's, he's looking pretty good. He's got very fast feet. He's got yeah. very uh, I, there's probably a whole entire OnlyFans subsection of just feet, yeah. actually. So. You know, that, that's the thing, though. It's like Jacob Copeland would have to, and I agree with you, ultimately, that he's not making this team, but he would have to show something on special teams for him to have any kind of chance to get yeah, on this. Yeah. So that that's my my first observation, is that five of these spots are locked up, which is kind of different, um, frankly, than in previous so years. You think, so you're saying, just so we know, DeAndre Hopkins, Traylon Burks, Kyle Phillips, Chris Moore, NWI. Or the yep. five? Those five are locked. They're yeah. locked in. So it's 12 dudes for one spot at wide receiver. Uh, I do think an interesting name to watch is Alize, Alize Mack. I, I always called him Alize Mack at Notre Dame. Um, he played in the XFL. He is the, one of the only other tight ends in the state of Tennessee <laughs> that, can, that can run the routes that Chigaconquo runs. And he's pretty athletic. He's a big dude. And I told you guys this at minicamp and training camp. He was impressive in those situations, too. They Trayvon Wesco did have a really impressive down-the-field catch. It was like down a seam route on a nice touch pass. He made a really nice catch. But I'm not sure that's what they want him doing. <laughs> so I, I think Mac is another one to keep an eye on. Uh, otherwise, I think the only real discussion on offense is, and I'm going to start this with uh, Sinker's Beverages and Kingston Group, of course. No, I'm going to start this with, I I think the tight I think the Titans are treating and need to treat MPF like an injury, and they're putting a bandaid on it, and that this is only six games, and that they are banking on MPF being back on at, at right tackle in in game number seven, and that they're just gonna kitchen sink it until and whoever's out there is out there. <laughs> and I, I, that, I think that's what they're gonna do. And I don't know if it's the wrong strategy. I don't think you need to sign someone for six games. I don't think those six games yeah. decide your season or your division championship. I think they got to treat it like he got a, you know, an elbow injury and he's out for four weeks or whatever. Well, you know, you know, Mike brought up the point that, well, you know, you would sign George Fant and he would become depth. And then I'm like, well, you signed George Fant to what a two million, three million dollar contract for depth. Uh, he sits for the rest of the year and you just wasted sort of a, a certain amount of money because Jamarco Jones could have probably done what he's done. And Jamarco Jones is your depth. If he makes it through all six games healthy, he is your depth when NPF right. comes back. Right. Same with John. And it sounds like they got depth. It sounds like to them in their head, in their minds, we don't know if this is the right strategy or not. This could be Dennis Daly all fucking over again. In their mind, they think that John Ojukwu, uh, Jamarco Jones, maybe Jalen Duncan, they can all be versatile pieces. I mean, that's what they said about Jamarco Jones. He's versatile. He's versatile. He's versatile. These other guys could be just as versatile. They said the same thing about Jalen Duncan. And those are your depth pieces that are maneuvered around because they're versatile. And I know that it defeats the purpose that if, like, uh, let's say that Jamarco Jones goes down, or let's say that Andre Dillard goes down, but NPF is back. Okay, well then, who are you putting over at left tackle? And then are you sweat taking putting Peter over there? And then you're kind of messing around. That's almost like that for every team. Yeah. And so like in my mind, I'm with you. It doesn't seem like a good you. You got the money. Don't get me wrong. They got the money, and it would be a drop in the bucket if they wanted to do it. But it just doesn't seem like. I don't know. I mean, like. Do they really need to do it? It kind of feels like we know Vrabel loves Jamarco Jones for because they played basketball together back in 2004 or whatever that he was recruiting him. And yep. they were playing basketball and all that kind of stuff. And then, but he also really loves OJ and Stoney Keeley loves, really loves OJ. Yep. And I like OJ and I don't I know. Do too. I think no, I do too. I, I do too. Uh, Brandon says, Brandon says uh, two questions here. Brandon says, Duncan have any chance at right tackle. That's Jalen Duncan. And Zach says, 
Ojukwu is winning it. I, here's That's what I great would, for the Titans if he wins it. By the way, unless here, unless it's because Jamarco Jones lost it, <laughs> right? Like, like here's what I would say is that Jamarco Jones has a he's just a he's a floor. Let's just call the floor yeah. X. I think Ojukwu will eventually pass X fairly quickly, but not but is behind X right now. I think yeah. I think and Duncan is third on the list. So you're my, you're throwing your your weight behind Ojukwu. <clears throat> You, you I, think I, I don't like think right prediction? away. I don't think right away. I but think like of, you by the start of the season, you think so. Like, is that what you're saying? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. No, I think it's, I think it could be, <clears throat> I think it could be game three, game two. They're obviously because they were, the reports made it sound like they were splitting first team reps. Is that the safe assumption? I mean, that's a, what other people already a, said. I mean, that's, that's a good assumption. That's okay. a good assumption. Now, I, mean, I don't think you're going to get trouble because I'd be buck tweeting no, no, it out. I, I just want to like won't. clarify. No, no, no. They were rotating around. And then it's funny on special teams, they were like running up to the special teams and like Ojuku falls down. Oh, <laughs> and, yeah. And somebody yells. And it was just, it was just like a, you know, it wasn't a big deal. But yeah. like I, I could hear, you can hear the, I think it was Vrabel. And he's like, OJ, on your feet. Let's go. Stay on your feet, OJ. So like he's got a ways to go. Yeah. Duncan is just not there, in my opinion. And I don't think Jamarco Jones has a particularly, I think he's a guy. I think he's a warm body. Yeah. And I think, I don't think it, if Ojukwu is, here's what I would say. For an undrafted free agent, the path to get to where he has gotten to now is all of the things you would want to see out of an undrafted free agent. They invested money in him relative to their other UDFAs. He was the second highest paid one, I believe. Uh, he has the physical size and, and, and like six five three ten, like he's a big dude. Athletic, athletic can run, checks a lot of the boxes. Like it doesn't mean any of this is going to work out, but what it tells you is like the path, the tr tart path. Let's call it. Yeah, he's he's clearly on the path still, and the fact that in the first day of practice, he's rotating in in replacing of NPF is another box checked on the path. I just think it's going to take time for him to go from UDFA on this path to passing Jamarco Jones. I don't, I would be optimistic that that happens at some point. I don't know where that point is. I don't know okay, if that can be, so if that can be done in camp. I want to ask you a few questions about that because, you know, T.R. Tart notoriously was really bad. His undrafted rookie year in terms of doing the drills. I mean, like people were all over him. They couldn't even hit the, hit the sleds correctly. Um, oh yeah. That's right about that. Yeah. So, I go back to his 2020, the 2020 season. He never start. He st had one start uh, in that time, but he did play a few games uh, about roughly 29 to 30%, but he did have one start in that time, but he was so far behind. It sounds like OJ isn't as far behind as Tierra yeah. Tart. Yeah. That's and fair. that if he, it sound, also sounds like that they're going to split reps in the preseason. I would assume that if they're splitting reps in practice, unless someone starts outright winning it, they're going to do some first team offensive line reps for like one drive is Ojukwu, and then the next game another drive is going to be Jamarco with yep. the first team. Then the, most of those guys leave, and then one of them stays out there. So they're what chance do you give OJ overtaking Jamarco? If he has a tier tart like trajectory, because he's already a little bit ahead of that tier tart trajectory. He, the reason I ask that is because of the bus with the boys and Vrabel wants the guys with the fire, the want to, the will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why he loves Ojukwu because that's all the stuff that he said on Bust with the Boys is what he said in the press conference. So it seems like they're really gonna take and I also wonder what this means for NPF next year. So here's what I would here's my prediction. Jamarco Jones starts games one and two, maybe number three, but that Ojuku is the starter when MPF comes back. Gotcha. So I I would say two or three games of Jones, three or four games of Ojuku. That does not mean that either one is a high quality right tackle at this moment, but it would be a positive development for the future of the team if Ojuku wins that job a couple of games into the season and then all of a sudden becomes your number three tackle behind MPF and, and Dillard. And all of a sudden you just found a guy like that. That would be extraordinarily yeah. positive development for the team. Even if at the start of his career as an undrafted free agent rookie, he's not exactly 
a, a high level right tackle in the NFL. I don't think yeah. anyone should expect positive play from that position. It doesn't mean it's not a positive long-term development if he wins the job by week three or four, which I think he's, I think that would be my prediction is that Jones starts one and two, maybe three, Ojuku takes over, plays two or three games, NPF comes back and takes his spot, and Ojuku then spends the rest of the season filling in where needed as a swing tackle that is learning how to be a professional. And that then gives him a chance to compete next year for a starting job. That that's that would be my sort of long-term vision of that particular position. Um I, I think I, I don't, you know, we talked about the the secondary. Um being pretty physical and and the game energy intensity being up. I, I noticed that we can talk Levis and, and, and Willis here for a second. Cause I, Willis was fascinating. He was basically the number running with the twos and Willis was in, in seven on seven. Willis looked like the player Mike Vrabel was talking about quote unquote glaring. Uh, what progress? What did he say? Glaring, glaring improvement, improvement. He made tight window throws in rhythm, like four or five or six in a row. Pretty impressive. I was like, oh, okay, that looks like glaring improvement. We were joking on the sidelines. Like, oh, that looks like glaring improvement. Seven on seven. A second the defensive and offensive lines got on the field, he couldn't make a decision. And he went right back to scrambling first, looking for his legs. And so you're the first person to say that, by the way. So, like, I think uh, that's very important that that is out there that. You know, seven on seven, he looks great. Eleven on eleven, uh, old Malik Willis reared his head. And I would say that 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 commentary is still improvement yes. from Malik Willis. I saw throws that I don't think he made last year, even in just one practice, one drill. He yeah. made uh, again tight window throws over the middle between the linebacker, underneath the safety. Like he was, he was, he was doing it. And I was like, oh, okay, that looks different. That looks like improvement. And then I saw the same Malik Willis from last year for a big chunk of the time when they were in team drills. And that's, I think that's kind of where I expected. Yeah. Like I think it's improvement, but I think that's kind of where I expected Malik Willis to be is still very raw, very talented, better, but not a guy that looks like a starting NFL quarterback yet. Yeah. What'd you see from Will Levis in, for, in the same drills, like the transition from seven on seven to 11 on 11, a little bit more command of what's happening. There's clearly no question about that, but also playing with lesser players, but also against lesser players. So it's kind of hard to tell a couple of nice touch throws. Uh, I think he hit like a tight end on a corner route. I think he hit somebody down the scene. That was pretty nice. Um, he, he looks again, I'll say this, like I said, at, at minicamp and OTAs, he is further along at this stage than Willis was last year at the same spot. Yeah. That does not mean that he is ahead of Willis today. Yeah. Meaning, meaning head to head directly. So, um, they, they, Willis looks better. Levis looks like he will be better than Willis. <laughs> and Ryan Tannehill is 1 million percent your starting quarterback. Yeah. You look great. Ryan Tannehill looked really good in minicamp and OTAs and looked really good on Wednesday. So, yeah. He, he looks like he likes having number 10 out there. I'll tell I'm you that. Sure. I'm sure. He does. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. I think it's fascinating th- to watch the Levis and Willis thing play out. I, yeah. They need to know by like November, December ish, like pretty clearly someone needs to have grabbed the second string job stranglehold and and said, and said, I am the dude for next year. You got to come take my job from me. Yeah. So I I assume that's Levis, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Okay. So I had a chance to chat with uh, Chad Brinker, who is the assistant GM for strategy, Zach, not the assistant GM for personnel which is Anthony Robinson, of course. Sinkers Beverages, Kingston Group. Check them out, by the way. Great, great uh, build-out of our of our clients, just like they're trying to build out the analytics department for the Tennessee Titans. Uh, Sarah Bailey, of course, is the Director of Football Research and Development. Uh, Chad Brinker said a bunch of things in his press conference that were pretty vague. He said, we're building out systems, right? We're building, he's a former scout. Models, you know, models right? And he's like, he says, like, things that are going to help with, like, coaching, sports science, medical, uh, cap stuff. One of the things that he mentioned, uh, just in casual, you know, off the record conversation, I I think from what I, I think I can say this is that like the golden, the golden Holy grail of like what, uh, an analytics person wants to just to discover is predicting injuries. I think that is 
like the the holy grail of analytics. Like, yeah, the the number one thing you do with analytics is you marry it to the tape, which is very much what Rand Carthon has said, right, in his whole career. And even even Chad Brinker said it starts with the yeah. tape, ends with the tape. Yep, it starts with the tape. You add a lot of data to it. You finish with the tape. That's scouting. I think they want to use AI analytics, predictive stuff, and tracking to be progressive about what they can learn about the human body and about their players. And I think from what I gathered is the thing that no one in the NFL has figured out, but the thing that everyone wants is how to predict injuries. So you're basically saying that we're in an NFL arms race in this analytics data to be the first ones to try and have, I think so. the injury information, which I, he's I brought so. up the injury thing uh, quite a few times. And I, I found that have found that very interesting because I've been, you know, I'm a big data guy. So, like, I understand what they're doing with the coaching. I mean, I just wrote a whole article about all that kind of stuff that they're probably going to be giving the coaches. Uh, I understand about the salary cap data and all this stuff. I am so interested to see how they take data from certain injuries, and it, I'm sure they marry it to weight, size, uh, position, and then see how many games or maybe that injury reoccurs and all that kind of stuff. It's a very intricate thing to try to figure out a probability of, okay, this player yeah. is going to get injured because we do this. Here's what we need to avoid in practice or who's who we need to avoid in free agency or in the draft. I'm with you. I think it's very interesting. It's, I'd love to yeah. be a part of it. If there, oh, if God. anybody is listening, next time you talk to Chad, tell him I got a guy <laughs> that will come work for you for really cheap and I will just listen. I don't care if the, all they give me is just the data and I have to be the monkey at the typewriter that just puts it all in for him. I'll do it. <laughs> um, what's interesting is I think, you know, Vrabel's clearly adjusted his practice philosophy and strategy based on data, like GPS data, work rate, you know, whatever. Like they're, they're you know, they're taking, they're doing walkthroughs instead of jog throughs now. They're do you know, like he's clearly had it at his disposal before and used it to sort of frame how he, like they've evolved in their camp execution each of the last like three or four years. I, I just think that that's the thing. I think you put it right. It's an arms race to try to figure out like who's got the best predictive model on the human body, which by the way is insane. <laughs> like that is, that is an insane thing to try to do because you can have all the data in the world on two players that are exact same height, weight, you know, work ethic, right. You know, data, data, data. And like their knee ligaments could still be different. <laughs> so yeah. like I find it utterly fascinating that and and there was a lot of other stuff that, that they're in a they're in a good city to to be in the lead for this yeah. Vanderbilt Medical. I mean they're in a they have resources at their disposal. We are a healthcare hub. There's yeah. of the entire country basically. So it's yeah. it, it is uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that data and analytics and metrics and the entire department that they are in the process of building out is going to help with. And that is that includes scouting college players, scouting NFL players. That includes scouting coaches. That includes scouting other teams. That includes sports science. That includes cap and, and data on cap spending and you know Billy Bean style management of resources. Like it includes a lot of things. But I do think that the one that like you can just see a sparkle in a guy's eyes, you know, when like something comes up. And I think it's I think the holy grail of every analytics department in sports is going to be predicting injury and i think that is that is wild to think about <laughs> yeah i love it i love it it's interesting and somebody asked me this i was on in knoxville uh i go do josh warden jason swain show every week and they asked me what was the biggest difference now that ran carthon's in charge right like what are the what how is it different and the first thing i said was there's like a, a lightness to the building because he's a player's first relationship guy right there's just a different energy and how people communicate and how people talk. He's, as I've said all along, he's not out there swinging his whistle with a chaw in his mouth, like ready to yell at people. Like he's very players, player driven personality type. But number two is analytics. Like they are building out an entire department filled with a lot of different people and to do a lot of different things that are very forward thinking. Um, and I'll just say this most humans do not leave Green Bay to come to, to Tennessee unless they are given an opportunity to move up. Yeah. And that, that is clearly what Chad Brinker is doing is coming here to implement his thing. And, and I think Rand likes it. So it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to watch. I don't know. I don't know if it means 
a lot right now. Um, they're not, they haven't really shown us any like specific metric that decided a specific decision, right? Like they haven't, right. we haven't seen any of that yet, but what does it look like yet next year in the off season when we can talk about it again with them? I don't know. It'll be very interesting to watch. So keep an eye on it and sync and Kingston group. Both yeah. of oh, all right. We got football and other efforts. We got stackingtheinbox.com. We got Sinker's Beverages. We got the Kingston Group. We got all the other great shows across the 440 Sports Network. By the way, please go vote if you are a Davidson County resident. Please go vote. Please go vote. I know you're not, but please go vote. Nope. Just if you're listening and you are, there are 420,000 registered active voters in Davidson County. And about 100,000 of you are going to vote. Please, the other 300,000, please go vote. <laughs> like, be a part of the process. That's all I ask next Thursday, please. Uh, otherwise, thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for commenting. We do appreciate you. Rate, review, subscribe. Buy all your booze from Sinkers and get up, make all your house decisions with the Kingston Group. Read all your Titans gear, your Titans information at stackintheinbox.com. And thank you guys for listening. Have a great weekend. For Zach, I am Braden. We'll talk to you next week.